Hey there, I'm Daniel. Welcome to Bandit's Keep. Uh, you will hear two intros to this episode. Sorry. Um, I had recorded a podcast the other day when I was walking about uh, kind of my almost final thoughts on the chainmail combat system that I've been working on. Chainmail with ODD combat with the chainmail, I guess we call it. Anyways, um, and uh, there's going to be a, uh, a link in this show notes that will. Uh, link you to the file that I have. So if anybody wants to download that and take a look, feel free and call in to what you guys think. But uh, after that bit of the podcast, and it's about 20 minutes or so, uh, the remainder will be actually some call-ins that I have. So here we go. Hey there, welcome to Bandit's Keep. I am Daniel. And yeah, it's the springtime. So I actually live kind of across the street from part of the Appalachian Trail. And uh, this time of year is great because it's warm enough to kind of walk around without too much dying from the heat. Um, And also there's not a whole lot of tourists out yet. When the summer comes, this place will be crowded even during the week like it is now. But so if I'm breathing and heavy and stuff, it's because I'm not just walking on a road, I'm climbing essentially. So I'm off to make a climbing skill check and I I constitution with my dump stats, so yeah, we're going to be in trouble. But, we've made it, kind of. I am releasing uh, the OD&D chainmail compilation or rules or hack or whatever you want to call it that I've been working on that kind of was the beginning of this podcast. It's taken me a while. I really wanted to test things. And as I got deeper and deeper into it, I found more and more I wanted to change um, I guess not change, but answer questions about. Because what I definitely noticed was the more you hack something, the more you mess around with it, the more you need to mess around with it. You know, it's like anything. It's like you start to, you change one rule, and then all of a sudden it's like, well, but that, how, does that expect, how does that affect this? And uh, it just keeps going on and on. I think that's in and of itself is a subject um, <laughs> that could be discussed, but... I'm going to kind of talk a little bit today about kind of the experience with Chainmail, what I think of it, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to the doc. It's um, a friend of mine is doing some art, so it's probably going to be the art-free version. I'll note which one it is, um, so then I'll update it. But part of the reason why I want to do that now is because if people are interested and they want to look at it, I would love to get some feedback um, because I want to do an episode where I kind of, I don't know if I'll read all of it, but kind of read through it and uh, talk about some of my design decisions and where they came from. So it'd be good to possibly have some questions before I even do that. Um, Otherwise, of course, I'll take them after. But one thing that this has made me realize is I definitely like this process of designing and changing and manipulating the game, which is kind of funny because I always saw myself, or in recent years, saw myself as liking games that had the most simple of rules. Things like Into the Odd or uh, those kind of games where very, very simple mechanic, not a lot of rules, kind of just make it up as you go along, really go with the flow kind of games. And to go into what Jason talked about, and, or is going to talk about more, I guess, in the uh, Nerds RPG Variety cast, this is crunchy. And not only is it crunchy, I think it's also might be considered rules heavy. Um, because 
there's a lot of stuff going on and a lot of stuff that you kind of need to reference and each combat sometimes each move in the combat definitely requires looking things up thinking about it strategizing which is kind of the opposite of how i generally like to run games i'm much more of the i've probably said this before me being a player is i love to do things that aren't in the rules i like to just see what my character is doing and let the gym figure it out so that's one reason why i favor lighter games is because that's probably easier for the gym to do and also possible you know i hate hitting walls in game systems where it's like oh well you can't actually do that because that's a skill that you don't have or that's a class ability of this thing or you know your library check is too low you didn't pass your spot hidden <laughs> uh, you know those kind of things so i'm tend i tend to be against that but for some reason this chainmail system really appeals to me and then i think i may have said this before but i think the reason why is because i don't mind having combat be its own thing so i know that certain games like dungeon world for instance which i have but i have not read all the ways through um, some of the concepts in it which i guess is the apocalypse system so maybe that's where it comes from is that combat shouldn't break the immersion you, know, you hear this a lot in games immersion right so i'm immersed in the game and i'm immersed in being my character and then when it comes to combat, all of a sudden it's like, oh, hold on, we have to roll dice, we have to do this, it's different, I can't just do, I can't just role play, right? And it, this does happen. I mean, people that that are great role players that, that you know, when they're talking to NPCs, they get into deep dialogues and they, they talk about their character and stuff. And then when they go into combat, all of a sudden they just say, I hit them with my sword. Because it feels different, right? The combat feels like it's a different game and I think that we struggle sometimes as players and game masters to make it not feel that way. But what I'm finding, what I, what I see with this, com with this combat system and chainmail is there's no way to not make it that way. It is literally a different game <laughs> completely. And in some ways, that's liberating. Because I can play OD&D, which is incredibly rules-light, no skills. Most of your ability scores don't really do anything. There's not rules for much. You know, you got to kind of basically wing it and mix up, up as you go along. Oh boy, okay, again, I'm just going to start breathing heavy now because <laughs> let's start climbing over rocks here. But um, essentially, you know, you're making things up as you go along and players are describing what they want to do. You know, there's no there's no thief, which you know, is, a, is a whole uh, other subject. You know, so it's like you want to find traps, you want to do this, you want to do that. You just got to describe it. You know, tell me what you're doing with your 10-foot pole. You know, how are you... How are you searching for this? What, how are you going to disarm this trap when you see it? Um, you know, that's very OD&D, right? But then you get into combat, and that all stops. Even with the alternative combat system, or alternate combat system, I guess it's called, um, it's still a different game, right? It, it all changes. So instead of trying to keep it close to the original game, why not just make it a different game? Why not just completely have it separate from the rest of the game why not just make it its own system that's kind of what i'm thinking i think it's actually uh freeing in a way uh, as i said so hold on a second I'm gonna sneeze i'm sure i had to sneeze there so we <laughs> i lost my train of thought wow this lake is beautiful so it's like a small i guess it's a pond technically it's so quiet 
he's kind of standing out here in the woods. And what's funny about this is that, I mean, I mean, I can't see it because it's like basically a, a cliff face in the way, but my house is probably like, I don't know, 100 yards away. But I feel like I'm in the middle of nowhere, except when you occasionally hear a car go by, of course. It's just so quiet out here. You know, this makes me think about, just so I sidetrack myself, whenever I'm out here walking these things, I, I think about travel and D&D and all the stuff that people carry with them and how they do it. And I'm walking down these narrow trails that are set up for people to walk down. I'm thinking to myself, yeah, you are not <laughs> moving through the, the woods really quickly, you know, when people complain about speeds and stuff. That's, an, that's an entire other subject. But anyways, I guess my point is here is that and I guess this is a discussion if people want to talk about it, is the idea of each part of the game being its own thing. So I just, uh, from Jason, uh, did an unboxing, which inspired me to buy it. So I bought this Conan Tower of the Elephant game, which maybe I'll do like, I'm, I, don't know if, I don't think I've ever done a review before, but maybe I'll do a bit of a review. And uh, what's interesting about it is you've got this little rule book and it tells you how you kind of do, you know, each, how each game turn works and you, you basically, you know, you roll the dice and you do this, then you do that. But then in, I don't know, maybe a third of the, the, the scenes, it has a whole different set of rules. <laughs> it basically is, well, they're not completely different, but it's basically like, okay, hold on. In this, in this section, we're going to do it differently. This is how this works. And in a way, it's great. Well, I mean, the first time I ran through it, I was like, oh, oh, oh something else I have to know. But eventually, you know, once I got through the, the game, about halfway through, what I had used different types of rules, it made me realize that if I was always doing the same rule that was in the first scene, it probably would be boring. And I do find sometimes that RPGs can be very boring if they're always the same thing. If everything you do is roll a d20, try to get over 15, or roll a percentile to be your skill check, I think it just becomes boring and the more I play, what I, what I end up doing, the solution to that for me has been to do less dice rolling and just, you know, do more role play and go into simpler systems. But I wonder if these mini games are not also a solution and, you know, and maybe an additional solution, I guess, the idea that I can have a game that's really light, but then when people want to do certain things, they basically, uh, you know, that we, we just break it out and we switch games. And uh, we'll see how it works out. I guess I'll talk about it here, but I'm going to do another. I won't consider it a playtest anymore because the system's done, but I'm going to run a short campaign, we'll call it. It's probably going to be like four or five sessions in OD&D. And the module itself uh, has the characters traveling for somewhere around 20 or so days, and less or more depending on decisions they make. And to get to basically where the adventure site is. And, and it's a great setup, I think. You know, the idea is that nobody goes to this place because it's in the middle of nowhere, right? So, but um, I thought, well, how am I going to do this, right? Am I going to roll three wandering monster checks each day and talk about the journey and spend two sessions traveling, right, on one extreme? Or am I going to take the other extreme and just say, okay, you start at the mouth of the thing, it took you 20 days to get here, you're tired. And neither one of those, even though I've done both of them <laughs> in different situations, neither one really felt appealing. So I sat down yesterday, again, with this whole mini game thing in mind, and I created a little, I'm not done with it yet, but I've kind of created a little mini game, one of which is uh, them looking for a guide, and it's going to be risk-reward, 
you know, I didn't want to do a shopping session. So I basically made up a kit of gear, like the, like the, like the ultimate kit of gear with like, you know, uh, porters and they're climbing a mountain. So I have rams that they can use as, as uh, pack mules and stuff like that. I listed it all out and that's the best case scenario. But that would only be if they get really lucky or they're really smart and they end up having all that silver to pay them. The longer they look for a guide, the longer they look for information in town, their, their money, um, you know, based, based on a random number, will be depleted, which means that ultimately when they go on the quest, they're going to have less and less supplies. And the less supplies will make it more difficult for them to actually get there. And then on the way, I'm going to have, it's 20 days and there's, there's, I think there's five players, so I'm going to have each of them, you know, I'm just going to go do four rounds around the table, everybody rolling a die. And we're going to use that to see how each day went. And then we're just going to mark off, you know, either lost supplies or wounds or stuff like that. So that when they get to the adventure site, you know, we haven't spent two sessions shopping and traveling. We spent maybe, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take. They're only two hour sessions. So, you know, this plus introducing all the characters and everything might take an entire session. But I figure they'll at least get to and the adventure site, if not start exploring it, you know, uh, within the first session but we'll still have a feel that they were able to travel. And again, I'm not using any kind of rules that are from the book. I'm basically just making up a mini game to handle this part of the game. And this to me is maybe a new way of playing or a new way of running, something that I, I kind of dabbled in before, but I think could become part of my regular kind of repertoire of ways of running games. Look at each game as its own specific, or look at each task as I should say, as its own specific, you know, uh, challenge. And then instead of just setting a challenge rating to it and using the same tools over and over again, creating basically a game to handle that challenge. Okay, I have to climb over a tree here, so I'm gonna pause. Okay, I guess I gotta cut that down. So around this time of year too, the, there's like volunteers that come down these paths with, I guess with chainsaws, I'm assuming. And they cut away if any of these like large trees that have fallen over. They haven't got to that one yet. So there's a big old tree I had to basically, well, I opted to climb under it actually. So just getting through this path sometimes can be its own journey. But yeah, it's its own mini game, right? <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. What do you guys think? You know, mini games, do you guys like that stuff? Or would you rather just have a core mechanic and not have to think about it? Um, you know, and, and I guess specifically related to combat, if you think it's just too much of an ask to have people basically break out and do something completely different. I guess this kind of also ties in slightly to the unarmed combat conversation I was having back and forth, you know, between a bunch of us. Essentially, the uh, the idea that unarmed combat becomes its own thing. You know, where we're all over down in a heap, it's, it feels like, well, why is it different? You know, and I think Jason, I don't want to put words in people's mouth, but it feels like Jason and myself feel like, no, it should be different. So... <laughs> You know, I wonder what everyone else thinks about that. In any case, uh, if you can and you have time and the, the interest, download the file. I'll put it in the show notes and uh, take a look at it and uh, leave me some messages. And then I will do another episode where I kind of break down some of my design decisions and answer some of those messages if they, uh, if they come up. Until then, I'll see you. Okay, well, I stopped for a minute and kind of wrote up, although I can't read and walk at the same time, so I'm going to have to go off memory of what I wrote, but um, I decided to write up the little journey rules, just to keep it simple. So, 
if my players are hearing this, then uh, <laughs> you know a little bit, but the average, the baseline trip is going to be 20 days, um, depending on what they do in the first, uh, the first part, like in town, they could shorten the trip or lengthen it. Um, and once we get on the road, what I'm going to do is I'm going to break it down into turns. So let's just assume that it stayed 20. There's five players, so I'm going to essentially do four turns of action. The first turn, everybody rolls a d6, and I tally up the number of ones. If nobody gets a one, then basically boring, you know, it's clean. It's, it's the result they want, even though it's the least interesting, right? Because um, they're just going to keep moving forward. If they get one one, it's going to be a snowstorm or something like that, ice, sleet, you know, bad terrain, whatever, however I want to decade it. And basically what's going to happen is it's going to add one or two days to the journey. So even though they just moved forward five days, they might actually move back, you know, in a sense. If they have, if three of them get sixes, then there's going to be some kind of a loss of gear. The way I wrote it is like a, a you know, sinkhole opens up or a crevasse and they lose gear. I made a little chart of what they might lose. It could be some rations. It could be some of their combustibles because where they're traveling, they have to uh, carry their own wood and stuff. And of course, if they run out, it's going to be a problem. The, uh, the next result after that is actually a, a wandering monster type encounter. Uh, I'm going to use a displacer beast, but it's going to be like a modified displacer beast that's white because you know, it's, it's in a snow environment. And although a black displacer beast against the white would be pretty cool. Uh, I don't know, I was just thinking about displacer beasts and they're pretty cool. I read that, uh, that, that short story that, the, that apparently was the the inspiration for it, although it's very different in the short story, but the look of it anyways. But anyways, <laughs> that's totally a side thing. And if that happens, then they'll have a combat, obviously, because uh, it's going to be a wild animal, so it'll probably be a combat. They're not going to have a, probably a chance to talk to it, unfortunately. But, you know, whatever. And if five of them, no, that was four, right? If all five of them get, no, that no, that was three. If four of them get ones, which is nearly the worst possible thing, right? Um, then it's funny, I'm actually walking on a flatter ground now and I feel like I'm breathing heavier. Um, then there's going to be like a, a major, like an avalanche. And there's going to be a saving throw. And if they fail, they're going to lose some con or, de or strength. And uh, if any of the porters that they have with them fail, they're going to die essentially by falling you know being sucked up in the avalanche and if that happens then the, the pieces will also lose gear so a four of them rolling ones would be probably the worst possible result because if five of them roll ones i'm going to say that they find a shortcut so this is like that uh changing expectations right because they're going to think that the more ones they get the worse it is but if they actually get the maximum number of ones which is incredibly unlikely but if they do, then uh, they will actually find a shortcut and cut 1d6 days off the journey. So I like to do stuff like that, little hidden Easter eggs in my charts. And that's just how I'm going to run it. And I would imagine that unless they hit the combat, that whole thing will probably take 15 minutes, you know, at the most. The, then, then, I'll, then I'll get into the actual module, which has some, like when you get close to the, the tomb that they're finding... Uh, there's like a map and you know and stuff to do or whatever that I, of course obviously I'll cut to that at that point um, so yeah that's my plan
So, uh, I mean, I'm going to run it on Thursday. So probably the next time I make a podcast, I'll let you know how it worked out. But yeah, on that same kind of mini game uh, front, that's what I'm doing. Okay, so first up, I have some messages from uh, Jason over at the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Take it away, Jason. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Just listened to your Unarmed Combat episode. Really enjoyed it. I'd, I've got to get my bar fight. Ep- <laughs> you know, I've got a backload of special episodes I'm supposed to be doing. Analyzing definitions, the bar fight, uh, time travel one with safer fantasy crafting. But anyway... You know, it's funny because one of Rob's objections, if I remember right, is that he didn't like the idea that a higher-level character, like a fighter, could get jumped by multiple low-level characters and taken down. Even though, like you say, it fits the fiction, I I think he didn't want that. He didn't want a group of goblins to be able to jump on his fighters and take them down, which, you know, they should be able to. But I'm interested to hear Rob's call-ins on this. Um, I'm going to leave you another call. Thank you for pointing out the second edition system. I, I apologize for any background noise. I'm in the car in the rain. I had never played... Well, that's not true. I played second edition twice, both times last year. But I never played it back in the day. I, I got out of this stuff. Well, I, anyway, I never played second edition back in the day. So I wasn't aware of their unarmed combat rules. But that's interesting. I'll definitely look at that when I do my bar fight episode. But I really like the speed and simplicity of the roll a number d6 is equal to your level system that you talked about i wonder if to compensate for classes we don't have them roll a number of hit die equal to their level so that way your wizards are rolling d4s or i'm sorry your magic users are rolling d4s but your fighters are rolling d8s right and i guess maybe you modify it you'd have to look at it. i mean the cleric is a fighting priest so I'm fine with them rolling D6s. I guess, it, you know, if you're playing a system where a thief has D4 hit points, maybe you let the thieves roll D6. Maybe only the magic user and illusionist roll a um, D4. I don't know. You'd have to think about that. Maybe you tweak. I, I, I'm not a fan of Thief anyway, but maybe you, you tweak him to roll a D6, you know, with the idea that they're a thug anyway. Although... You know, criminals are cowardly lots, as Batman has proven. So maybe, maybe thieves get to roll D6 when they jump somebody unexpectedly. That first round, the thief gets a D6, and then they get D4 after that. Since you know, criminals are cowardly lot. Yeah, I like that. I, I I think maybe we'll go that way. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Thank you for reading those rules out. I look forward to downloading a copy when I get home and going back over them. I am very interested in them. I do wonder about adjusting them for the, the hit points. But, no, very interesting. I, and I hope you do talk about more combat systems, like you mentioned. I, I'd be very interested in hearing that. I think that uh, I'm on the same page with Jason here as far as uh, unarmed combat. I really like that uh, it's its own thing. And as I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the episode, um uh, I'm okay with minigames. Uh, I do understand what uh, Rob was saying about uh, if, for some reason, this unarmed combat minigame becomes more favorable than using weapons, then that might seem a little unusual or, or unbalanced, but uh, I don't necessarily see that happening. 
or it hasn't happened anyways in my groups. Um, as to using different hit dice, yeah, I, I don't see why that wouldn't work. Um, obviously, in Chainmail or OD&D, everybody is D6, but if you were using, um, you know, uh, variable hit dice, so Thieves or D4 or whatever, I could see that. I probably would make it a D6 for everybody, and then maybe just give the fighter some kind of bonus, uh, is more along the lines of what I think I would work it. Like, maybe a fighter gets one extra die, or fighters, you know, get one extra die per so many levels, or, or maybe have them roll a D8. I mean, who knows? Either way, it could, it could definitely work out. Um, and I will say, if I didn't mention that, that the, um, the grappling, I actually used an entire campaign and used it quite a bit, and it did work out really well. Hey, Daniel, Jason here. Tools is thief skills. I think that fits the game. I think it fits the other mechanics in the game. And, yeah, I, I think that's worthwhile. I, I'd go that way because they're always going to have other options. You know, if they can't pick the lock, if it's, depending what kind of lock is, you have the option of breaking down the door or trying to break the lock off or whatever else. So just because you fail that lock pick doesn't mean you are you have to wait a level before you can try to get in that room, right? So no, I, I think you go for it and see how it works out. Hey Daniel, this is Taylor from Clerixway Ringmail calling in about thief skills with no thieves. So I really like the idea that having the right tool and role-playing the situation determines the mechanic. In terms of implementation, had you thought about using 2d6 instead of 1? Maybe have a target 10, target 12, and then give situational modifiers and apply an ability modifier to the roll. Uh, just thinking about it, 2d6 feels very chainmaily to me, but more importantly, 2d6 being on a curve compared to a 1d6 linear distribution means that the modifiers are very important up front because they increase your chance of success very rapidly, but then kind of taper off, meaning that they only take you so far and your success at a given point is not guaranteed. So food for thought. So that was one more message from uh, Jason and a message from Taylor over the Clericsware ringmail blog um, with some response to my short podcast about using tools as essentially thieves skills. Um, this is one thing I really like about Anchor in this community is that, uh, you know, I just kind of had the idea, jot it down, kind of threw it out there and, uh, right. Uh, that in info from Taylor about using the 2d6, very, very smart. Um, and, uh, yeah, I like it a lot. Uh, this is something I will probably end up working on and writing up. Um, I just like the idea. You know, I like the idea that, uh, you know, you don't have to have the thief to do thief skills, so it keeps the game simpler and makes it so that people don't feel like they have to play a certain class. Um, this is one reason why I also like things like, um, I don't know what they call it, uh, Finding Wounds, I think they call it in White Box, where after a battle you can get back a couple of hit points by taking time to find wounds. Um, this basically then sets you up in a situation where you don't need to have a player play a cleric in order to get some healing. 
So that's kind of where my mind is there. And uh, yeah, I will work on it. I'm sure I'll talk about it more here. Okay. You've done it now. You didn't ask for this. Nobody asked for it, but you're getting it. Inspired by Jason, I decided to do an unboxing. So I will leave you with that. Until next time. Okay, so I'm going to give it a shot. Um, I'm always, hopefully this keeps recording. Let's see. Uh, you know, I said before, I really like Jason's unboxings over at Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And then I just got home, and I see I have two packages. And one of them is from Conan Properties, which is uh, in a, I'm assuming, the Tower of the Elephant game, which I ordered uh, based on uh, Jason's unboxing. So in order to do this properly, I'm busting out the tape measure here. This thing is a priority mailbox. It's about 11 inches by eight and three quarters by about six. And I want to say, oh, I dropped my razor. I want to say I ordered this Monday night, I think, and it is Friday. So that is very fast. Okay. It's coming from California at that. And of course, I'm in New York, so all the ways across the country. So open this up. Oh, got the little airbags. Earth Aware. Sailed ear. Sealed ear. Boy, boy, my voice is... Uh... Okay, good. That's better, better than bubbles. Oh, all right. We got little plastic stands. I guess that's for paper figures. We got the little invoice in here. Oh, yeah, I see. It says uh, Conan, the uh, the Gamarian Tower of the Elephant board game. And then it added uh, revised standee clamp bases. So this must be something, a change they made because... I didn't order that separately. All right, so we got more of this little airbag stuff. It's kind of neat. This actually, <laughs> it's, this is much smaller than I thought it was going to be, which I'm glad. It's kind of a square shape. I'm not going to open the whole thing up now because I'm probably going to, I'll do a full-on review, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's about eight and a half uh, by eight and a half uh, square. And then deep, we've got um, hmm. Three and three quarters. So it's a nice little small box uh, for solo play. So that's very exciting. Thanks, Jason, for recommending this as far as, uh, as much as you could have when you haven't played it yet. Uh, put it up over here because I didn't make room for this because I was so excited. Now, the other thing I got is from Lightning Source, which should be RPG books. We're going to find out in a second. I don't remember what I ordered. I can't remember when I ordered something. So we're going to find out. This one is, it feels kind of fat, actually. It's a... Uh, 13 by about nine and a half, but it is a good whew, inch and three quarters thick. So these you don't usually need a razor for. You just got to pull a corner. Oh, 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 <laughs> okay. Leopard Women of Venus. So this was a Kickstarter that I did uh, a while back. It's a DCC supplement um, where it's based on the artwork of uh, 
Okay, you know I'm tired. I can't think of the guy's name right now. Uh, Fletcher Hanks. So this was a, uh, you essentially, it's like a sci-fi, kind of goofy, silly sci-fi uh, supplement for DCC. I actually, looks like I got two copies for some reason. I must have hit put it in my box twice, so I got two. So that's always good. Um, so it the book itself is uh, color front, color back. Looks like it's black and white inside. I got the PDF for this a while ago, so I've already kind of seen it. It's pretty cool, so hopefully I'll be able to play some of this soon. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure what episode this will be part of, but that was my first and maybe my only ever unboxing inspired by Jason. And, uh, yeah.